So we're in, uh, we're continuing to walk your walk in Genesis, and uh, today we get to the story of Cain and Abel, that sort of archetypical story of sibling rivalry that's found its way, the themes have found their, their ways into all kinds of literature and entertainment throughout the years from network television to Shakespeare, uh, you know, Hamlet, Cain and Abel. Uh, anybody here remember uh, Bobby and J.R. Ewing? No, you're too young. Dallas? Yes, I knew I could count on you, Austin. Yeah, Bobby, J.R. Ewing, and Dallas, Cain and Abel. You know, it's it's all the way through. We have a we have a thinker and writer in Canada that's become fairly well known, who was raised in a small town in northern Alberta. Not, I mean. We live in Alberta, but it's still like 20 hours from where we live. But um, who, uh, his name is Jordan Peterson. You may have heard of him. He's written many, many, uh, multiple chapters and articles on the theme of Cain and Abel. And he says, every time I come to the story of Cain and Abel, I, I learn something new. So let's read this story today. Uh, it's in Genesis chapter 4. And we're just going to read the whole chapter. Genesis chapter 4. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Pretty triumphal statement for her. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. No comment. Abel's name actually means breath or vapor, not a good omen for Abel. Uh, now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field... Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the land, from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be, re be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you're driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. 
So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain made love to his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. And Cain was then building a city, and he named it after his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Arad, and Arad the father of Mahujael, and Mahujael was the father of Meshushael, and Methushael was the father of Lamech. And Lamech married two women, one named Adah and the other Zillah. And Adah gave birth to Jabal, and he was a father of those who live in tents and raise livestock. And his brother's name was Jubal, and he was a father of all who play stringed instruments and pipes. And Zillah also had a son, Tubal-Cain, who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. And Tubal-Cain's sister was Naamah. And Lamech said to his wives, Adah and Zillah, listen to me. Wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. And Adam made love to his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in place of Abel since Cain killed him. Seth also had a son, and he named him Enosh. And at that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. Well, just uh, reading this story raises all kinds of questions. And, and inquiring minds want to know. Want to know things like, where did all these people come from? You know, at, at this point, we know of Adam and Eve, and then we had Cain and Abel. But then Cain is worried about being cast out into the earth and all that all those people out there are going to do to the, to him and uh, somewhere Cain finds a wife and he builds a city so where did all of the people come from that's a question that first question people ask when they're looking at this story of Cain and Abel and uh, the truth of the matter is this is true human history it's not necessarily comprehensive or exhaustive human history not necessarily sequential i mean those those questions, when you start reading through the genealogies later and realize how long these people were living and how many children they were having, eh, it's not hard to figure out that this was the, uh, there, there are answers to those questions. But that's really not what this story is about. We want to know, you know, what was that mark that God put on Cain? You know, what was that? Was it like a tattoo with a a big red circle and a sword in the middle of it with a line crossed through it. Don't kill Cain. You know, don't do this. Like a no parking sign. What was it that God gave him? And it just doesn't, doesn't tell us. You know, there are all kinds of details that we'd be interested in. Inquiring minds want to know. But the interesting thing about these Hebrew storytellers is that they don't give us a lot of detail. When they do give us detail, it's really important and we should pay attention to it. But if the detail is not there, then it's not really that important. And most of the questions that we have about, about uh, this story, a lot of them, uh, just apparently aren't important. But the things that it does tell us are important. And that's what we need to focus on today. What, what are the kinds of things that are most important. What, what, is, what does it tell us? Well, I think one thing that stands out 
in this chapter is how similar it is to chapter 2 and 3 that came before that Josh talked about last week. Uh, the, how similar these two accounts of sin in the world are. They're, they're organized the same way. The structure is the same. There's, there's kind of five episodes in each one of them. There's a narrative followed by a dialogue, followed by a narrative, and then another dialogue, and then another narrative. And that narrative in the middle is where the sin happens. It's kind of the central part of it. And that, that pattern is repeated in both of these uh, both of these chapters. It's, it's really interesting. The story of Adam and Eve starts with just the creation of Eve and their life in the garden and God telling them not to eat of the fruit, fruit of the tree. And then there's a dialogue right after that. And, the, and Cain's, Cain's story begins with the birth of Cain and Abel and they're going out and offering a, a, an offering to the Lord, both of them, and the Lord rejecting Cain's. And, and then there's a dialogue in both of them between Eve and the serpent, and then between God and, and, uh, and Cain. And then there's the sin, Adam and Eve take of the fruit, and then the sin, Cain goes out and kills his brother. And then there's a, another dialogue where Adam says, God says to Adam, where are you? Where are you? And then, and then there's a dialogue with Cain where he says, Where's your brother? And then there's the account of the condemnation. And again, words appear. Cursed is the ground. Cursed are you, Cain, from the ground. So a lot of similarities, but the differences are also important. Uh, The story of Adam and Eve begins with no alienation between them and God. The story of Cain begins with immediate alienation, his, his offering is rejected. Eve has to be persuaded to take of the fruit. And Cain can't be dissuaded from taking the fruit. Even God tries to say, Cain, watch it, be careful. You're, you're, going, to be, you're going to be consumed by this. And, and he doesn't listen. Adam and Eve accept God's judgment when he gives it to them. He says, yeah, that's, that's what we have to do. We have to leave the garden. Cain complains that it's too harsh. Adam and Eve are banished from the garden. Cain is banished from home and family and everything that would be safe. So clearly, this is a story that's, con- that's, that's telling us the continuation of the birth of sin in the world. But now it's talking about the escalation, this trajectory towards more chaos and more grief and destruction and human quality, human carnage that's going on because of this trajectory, this destructive escalation of sin. And it raises another important question, and that question is, why does God allow it? Why does God permit it? Why doesn't he just nip it in the bud right here and and avoid all of the mess that came later? I think this is an important question. It was an important question for the Hebrews. You know, it's a, it's a question that they ask in the Psalms constantly throughout their history. Why does God allow sin and these consequences of sin just to continue on the world? And I think it's one that, that this, this text actually points to an answer for. 
So let's begin by thinking about this trajectory of sin. We might call it the path of Cain. Where does it start? You know, we, we tend to think of, well, sin begins with an action or sin begins with a thought. But here, sin actually begins at the altar. Sin begins in the presence of God, bringing an offering to God. Now, one of the questions we, we want to ask about this is, you know, why did, why did God reject Cain's offering and not Abel's? You've probably heard people say, well, it was because Abel offered an animal sacrifice, and there was no blood in Cain's offering. But the truth of the matter is the word that's used for the offering here is, is actually more of a tribute. It's more of, it's the kind of, it, it's like a thank offering One, that in the Old Testament, all throughout the Old Testament, it wasn't expected to be a blood offering kind of thing. In fact, the most normal thing would be for it to be some grain or some fruit, just like Cain brought. So it it really doesn't make sense that it was because it was not because Cain, Abel offered a lamb and Cain offered grain. We get a little bit of a hint about the difference when it says Cain actually brings his offering first. And, and it says he brought some of the fruit of the, of the land. And then it emphasizes the fact that, that Abel brought the first fruits of his flock. And he brought the, the fatty portions of his flock. He brought the very best that he could bring. He, there, there seems to be an implication here that, that Cain is kind of offering a token. He wanted to appear religious without real, true devo devotion. But then his reaction afterwards really tells it all. You know, if you're a true worshiper and God rejects your offering, you're grieved, you're sad. You're asking, what do I need to do? Well, how, how could I bring an offering that's more acceptable to you? Cain was just angry. For him, worship was a transaction. He was bringing an offering to God, and he expected something in return, and his expectation was not being satisfied, and so he was angry because his worship was not about God. It was about him. Sin is a narcissist. It's always narcissistic. It'll stand before uh, it'll lead us to stand before the, the holy God, creator of the universe, the, the God who is above everything, Lord God Almighty, and say, God, what are you going to do for me today? You know, this was Cain. And so, and God warns him. He says, Cain, be careful. Sin is crouching at the door. It's going to devour you. But Cain's path was set called his brother out into the field, he murdered him. The first murder, the first human death. And this first murder wasn't about greed. It wasn't about lust. It wasn't about revenge or, or even jealousy so much. It was about religion. 
Religion becomes violent and oppressive when it's more about us than it is about God. That's always been the case from the very beginning. And I think one of the reasons this story was so important to the Hebrew people is they wanted an answer for why, why, do we, why are we receiving so much religious oppression and, and, and violence towards us. They, and this, this gave something of an answer to them, but they weren't always just on the receiving end. The ultimate expression of this is Jesus was killed. Jesus was murdered for religious reasons, for the same dynamic that worship was not about God. It's about us. I think it's important for us to grasp that today. You know, we might sometimes feel on the receiving end, but Christianity, Christians have sometimes been on the giving end as well. Cain failed at the altar, and because he failed at the altar, he failed in the field. Sin's trajectory, sin's escalation, begins in the presence of God. But the path of Cain also then ends, here's the trajectory, it ends far away from the presence of God. It leaves the presence of God and, and ends up distant, distant from him. Cain's second conversation with God comes along. God says, where's your brother? And Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? You know, I don't know. Uh, a deflection, of course. Didn't really want to answer the question. And this is another thing about sin, is it's self-deception. Uh, Cain, I think he actually thought he could get away with it. He actually thought he could stand there to God and say, I don't know. Hello, Cain? It's God. Sin will always tell me that I'm the smartest person in the room. And when I believe it, that's when I become a fool. God's response to him is, oh, Cain, what have you done? Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground where you shed it. Now you are cursed. You know, in, in Genesis 3, it was the serpent who was cursed. It was the ground that, that was cursed. The word cursed, God never said to Adam and Eve, you are cursed. But now he says, Cain, you you are cursed. Sin has, the escalation of sin has brought about an escalation of judgment. And he says, now you are going to be a wanderer on the face of the earth. And Cain's reaction is, oh God, that's, that's harsh. No. <laughs> He's the first murderer. He's just killed his brother. He has, he has marred the soil with the blood of his brother and Cain now feels like he's the victim. Do you know that person? 
I'm going to resist the temptation to tell a couple of stories about that person that I've come across in, in my life. You've, you've met that person. You know people like that. If you haven't, you will. Uh, the question is, have you ever been that person? Even a little bit. Where no matter how much havoc I wreak, no matter how much pain I've caused, no matter how much hurt I've inflicted on somebody else, I still think I'm the victim. That's the trajectory of, of sin. So, but God responds graciously to him. This is, this is the astounding thing. He gives him a mark of protection where Cain will not be killed and he sends him out to wander in the land of Nod, which actually means the land of wandering, somewhere even farther east of Eden than where Adam and Eve had ended up. And he's out there on his own. You know, I, I don't know about you, but I feel like this is a picture of, of where we are today on a grand scale in our world today, wandering away from the presence of God. And, and this is where sin's trajectory leads. And maybe you've found yourself in that place before. Maybe you're in that place today. Well, there's another sort of chapter, episode here. As the path of Cain keeps moving forward, and, and, and it not only leads us from the presence of God, but it corrupts our best efforts and our greatest accomplishment. The story goes on and we begin to realize, oh, we're actually just in the middle of a genealogy that pauses for some comment along the way, right? That's what chapter four really is and most of chapter five. It's a genealogy and, and he's talked about uh, the two sons of Adam so far. And now, he's, now the, the story gives us the descendants of, of Cain, and, and it goes on, and, and I'm not going to read those names again. I, you, know, you just have to read those names quickly and act like you know what you're doing. And, but, it, but it eventually gets down to the seventh, the seventh generation from Adam, and it's a guy named Lamech. And here is where it pauses for some more commentary. And he says, Lamech... Lamech had two wives, and he had three sons. And, uh, and, and by the way, what, the thing that it says before this, let's, let's, let's back up a minute. Where before this, it says, it says, so Cain was wandering far from God, and then he built a city. Now, this is important. Uh, in, in Hebrew thinking, there were kind of three levels of spirituality or three levels of the kind of lifestyle that led to a good relationship with God. The top level was shepherd. A shepherd was someone who led their sheep around. They didn't have any particular place where they were. They had to depend on God constantly. They were mobile. They were able to follow God wherever he lead. The great heroes of the faith were shepherds. Moses was a shepherd. David was a shepherd. They, they liked to think of their kings as, as shepherds. The best kings were, were people who, were, who would shepherd their people. They were like shepherds. The, the worst kings were not good shepherds. Saul 
You know, you remember where Saul was, what he was doing when Samuel found Saul? He was looking for some donkeys he had lost. And as far as we know, he never found them. He wasn't a good shepherd. He didn't turn out to be a good king. That was the highest value was to be a shepherd. The second highest was to be a farmer. You know, farmers still have to tend the soil. They still, have, they, they still have to depend on God for the rain and for the growth and the germination of the seed and all that. But they're stationary. They stay in one place. And they're, they're sort of this synergistic effort with God. And they're, they're doing stuff to produce a crop. But, but still, that's, a, that's okay. But it's not as good as a shepherd. The lowest level, what do you think it is? I'm sorry. City dwellers. That's the hardest place to follow God. Because cities are where people get together and they, they work together and they depend on one another. They don't depend on God. They're building something themselves. And, and there's a story later on that you're going to talk about, I'm sure, where they, they actually think they can rival God in a city. And so, and so, city, so Cain started in the middle as a farmer, and then he descended to a city builder. And this is, this is uh, where he is. He's a city dweller. But you know, a city dweller, cities are also places where culture develops, where culture grows. And what we see here is, is Lamech. This descendant of Cain now, generations later, who has these three sons. And, and the story just tells us how, how this family has developed the culture. There's Jubal, who, who is the father of music. And everyone who plays the, the, the strings and the pipes. And then there's Tubal Cain, who is the father of everyone who works metal and creates tools out of bronze and iron. And, and, and then there's Jabel, who, who is maybe sort of a, 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 you know, a, an agrarian counterculture out on the edge of the city because he's keeping herds and wild stock. But it's not, it's, even this is an advance from like Abel just took care of sheep. Jubal has developed a cattle operation and, and who knows what else that he's doing. They've moved culture forward but they've moved it away, moved it forward away from the presence of God. Culture is developing out of God's presence, and that's always a mixed bag. Uh, and here, you know, there's a lot of good. The image of God is being expressed through human creativity. But then there's a lot of corruption, and here the corruption is, is kind of represented by Lamech himself. Lamech is sort of an urban thug. He's, uh, he's the first one who is, is said to have two wives. He's the first one who departs from God's standard in, in Genesis 2, where, where man should leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two should become one flesh. He's the first one to to take on two wives. One of their names means ornament, you know. So he's, he's like uh, gathering beautiful women around him. And he's violent. 
And not only is he violent, but he brags about his violent. And he, in the, the end of the chapter is actually a, a little song, a little ditty that he sings to his wives about his violence, about how he's become even more violent than his ancestor Cain. Um, I heard a, an Old Testament um, scholar recently uh, call, you know, Jubal is a father of music. Uh, Tubal-Cain is the father of technology. Uh, Jabel is the father of livestock and, hum- and, and uh, husbandry. And uh, Lamech is the father of, of gangster rap. You know, you get a harem, you, you live violently, and then you uh, sing about it. You write songs about it. But this is a trajectory of sin. An escalation of violence and degradation and depravity. And there's this complex understanding of the city here where the cultural mandate is being fulfilled. People are, are, are doing something with the creation that God has given them. And the, but there's also the path of Cain that leads farther and farther away from God. So we come back to that original question. Why did God allow it? Why did God permit, protect, and provide for Cain. He could have been perfectly justified by putting him to death and avoiding the whole thing altogether. Why didn't he? Well, the genealogy backs up to Adam. And it it says Adam had another child and his name was Seth. His name means appointed or ordained. And Eve's attitude is very different this time around. She said, God has has provided another son. It's no longer this, with God's help, I made a man. She doesn't say that anymore. This is a new beginning. And then within a generation, it says that people began to call on the name of the Lord. And if you follow the genealogy over the next few verses in chapter 5, it gets down seven generations from Adam, the generation that's even with Lamech. And there's a, there's a man in that generation named Enoch, also a descendant of Adam, seventh generation down. And it says, Enoch walked with God, and then he was no more because... God took him. So right here, parallel with this degraded, this escalation of sin and violence and brokenness in the world is a work that God is doing to bring about a different path, a path that's far different from the path of Cain. While sin was escalating in the line of Cain, God was doing something new in the line of Seth. Now, Cain's line ends in chapter 6. Spoiler alert. It involves a lot of rain. And, uh, but does that mean that the path of Cain is over? No. I mean, the path of Cain is, is there throughout history. And Paul makes it clear, we're sinful not because we're descendants of Cain, but because we're descendants of Adam. I mean, it's, it's, it's worked into our, it's a part of our DNA. 
But like Cain, we've all stood before the Almighty God and said, God, what will you do for me today? Like Cain, we've failed at the altar. And so we've failed in the field. And we've inflicted pain and suffering and grief and and death in so many different ways on the people around us, people that we should be loving. Like Cain, we've all wandered far from God's presence, and we've achieved a lot. We've done a lot of good things. We've accomplished much, but our best achievements are always tainted and broken and never quite live up to the aspirations that we have for them. But God is always doing something new. A descendant of of Seth was Noah. And then a descendant of Noah was Abraham. And God came to Abraham and and said, uh, Abraham, I want you to go to the land that I will show you. And I'm going to bless you. And everyone who blesses you will be blessed. And whoever curses you will be cursed. And through you and your family, all all of the families of the earth are going to be blessed. And God continued that enterprise for doing something new, bringing about redemption in the world that came to a climax in Jesus when he died on the cross and rose from the grave to set us free. In Matthew's Matthew's gospel, he starts with a genealogy of Jesus that traces Jesus back to Abraham. And then he ends with the commission of Jesus standing on a hillside saying, now you go and make disciples of all the nations. The fulfillment of that promise that God had made uh, to Abraham. And in between, in Matthew's gospel, there's a parable. A parable where Jesus says, a farmer went out and he sowed some seeds in a field. And then his enemy came at night and sowed some weeds. Wheat and weeds sprung up in the ground and the laborers came to him and said, should we pull up the weeds? And he said, no. Let them all stay there together and we'll sort it out in the end. In the end, we see in Revelation 21 where there's a city. It begins, the story begins in a garden, begins in Genesis in a garden and ends in a city. And it's not a city made by human hands, but a city that's made by God. But it says in Revelation 21 that the glory of the nations will be brought into that city. That God is about redeeming. What God is, why does God, why does God allow it to go on? Well, because God is about bringing about redemption of us of our families, of our culture, of everything in this world. God preserves, protects, and provides because God isn't done with you, and he's not done with me, and he's not done with this world. His purpose is redemption, and God will fulfill that purpose. So what do we do with this story of Cain today? Well, I think for one thing, it challenges us to examine our worship before God, 
Because it's the foundation of everything else that we are, that we become. To be alert to that temptation that crouches at the door. To be alert to that tendency that we have to say, God, what are you going to do for me today? To be calling on his name daily, walking with God daily. It challenges us to be, to be, to see ourselves as the first fruit, to live in a broken world as the first fruits of God's new creation that he's bringing about in Christ in us. It also causes us to see the broken people around us the same way God does. They're God's image bearers. They're broken. They're weighted down. They're distorted by sin. And we're encouraged to see the culture around us with discerning eyes. Now, we tend to think about discerning things in the culture as discerning the things that are corrupt in the culture. But I think we also need to be alert to discern the things that that are the image of God coming forth and those little those little little blossoms of green that are coming up around around us because because God's at work at work around all of that so when we see the path of Cain being lived out all around us and we do and we experience the brokenness of it every day and we when we realize that sometimes we may be on that path ourselves uh, we need to hear God's grace we need to speak God's grace and remember that God's purpose is not punishment God's purpose is redemption and he will accomplish that purpose and he has accomplished this purpose there's no need to wander there's no need for anybody else to wander because God is making all things new Uh, let's pray Lord it is true we come to your word and 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 discover things uh, in fresh ways every day. And you, you teach us today, and we thank you for it. And, uh, and Lord, we are intensely aware that the world around us is not the way it's intended to be. And sometimes we can get so overwhelmed uh, by the disappointments, the hurts, the the threats, uh, the trajectory that just sometimes seems utterly futile and hopeless, that we forget that you are also at work. And you have been at work from the very beginning, and you will be at work till the very end, and you will fulfill your purpose in our lives in the lives of our families, in the lives of the people around us, Lord, you are bringing that about, and we thank you for that. We want to rest in that today. And Lord, we want to come to you as true worshipers in spirit and truth. 
And Lord, as we live in this world that's filled with both wheat and weeds, Lord, we look to you for the harvest and trust in you. And you're in Jesus' strong and mighty name. Amen.